the Destiny Church 217 podcast. The message you're about to hear was recorded at the church conference hosted by Fivefold International. The focus of the church conference is to address the Capital C Church as a whole. In this podcast, we hear from Pastor Steve Nordyke, who is a board member of Fivefold International. Let's get into the message. Well, uh, it's good to see you here uh, being part of uh, Fivefold International and um, coming to this event to celebrate that. Some of you coming for the first time to be credentialed and to be recognized in this way. There's a lot of different reasons uh, why people are motivated to pursue recognition, this credential. Um, I'm super stoked to be a part of this organization um, from, from the beginning. I'm always reminded when uh, Pastor Eric gets up and shares about its inception. About I, I, I can't always quite put where it is in the timeline. I'm not really good at focusing that. I don't, when I heard you say perfect participle, I thought, you can't get better than perfect. That's really awesome. <clears throat> I like words, but I'm, I don't know anything about grammar, so you'll hear that when I talk, too. But, but to hear in, that, in those early days, I just thought about um, the church down on Carpenter the other day when we're working out in our church where um, my wife, Deb, stand up, Deb. Would you greet my wife? here today. She's, uh, she's an ordained pastor with Fivefold International. Um, my grandson, uh, Jacob's oldest son, Caleb, who is uh, a youth pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, um, well into his first year there, is also credentialed with Fivefold. He's a credentialed minister. And um, so we, we take full advantage of the organization and and to launch and to uh, facilitate what they want to do in ministry. Um, we were talking the other day about where in our facility um, we're going to do organized prayer. And I, I was thinking about, on Carpenter, that room along the side that was the prayer room. And how when we would come visit and then be a part of prayer before the service, it was in that room. There was um, When you have a room or have a place... Uh, in a church dedicated to prayer that way, that place becomes uh, fragrant, saturated with the prayers of the saints, and it becomes kind of a special place in a building. If, if, and I think that can happen, at least it's been my experience. But um, recounting the history of Fivefold and its inception and the reasons why it started and... Um, it's, it's been good. But what motivates a person to pursue this credential, to pursue recognition? It's a lot of different things. A lot of people, it's been to um, facilitate the opening of doors of ministry that is established in your life, maybe to get into a prison and preach, or, or to, maybe to maybe a hospital requires you to be have a credential to get into it, to visit someone, so it facilitates that. Um, it can go in front of you as you go and speak different places and, and vouch for some kind of training or, in our case, with fivefold, a relationship with others who believe and what we believe. You identify with that, and, um, and that's been one of the tenets of our, 
organization is it's very relational. It, it um, has to do with who you're in relationship with in connection to fivefold, and that's how we keep track of people. I don't, uh, many of you I don't know, but I know the people you know, and so they vouch for you, and, and so we move in that way. Maybe it's just uh, the next step that, that God is telling you to take. That's why you pursued that, and that's why you have that. It's, a, it's an element on the journey that you're taking to um, be part of that great kingdom here in this place. So I want to talk and I want to think about today God's call on your life and, um, and um, what it's about and how it's developing and and how it's going to develop <clears throat> for scriptural reference here, a focus to launch off on. I, I've, I've got a, a scripture passage, nothing that's going to be behind you, but if you'll look up Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, you'll see there where I'm going to read and, and um, springboard off of and... Um, this is where Paul is introducing himself to the Romans, talking to them and greeting them as he begins to minister to them in this letter. And uh, Romans 1, chapter 1 through 7. And that's where it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting here, there's some identifiers to Paul uh, as we see him um, introducing himself and greeting them. We see up there in the very first part of the verse, called to be an apostle. Um, Paul we see introducing himself in his awareness as an apostle, um, as, a, as a leader of the function and growth and uh, pressing forward of the purposes of God in the kingdom of that day. The apostles were those who, 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 um, who really led that five-fold effort and, and seemed, seems to be uh, quite a high position or high calling uh, in that. And he identifies himself as that. And uh, we see that. But we see also some other things. Uh, a word that was mentioned last night at the banquet several times was in reference to your calling. What is your calling? And that's an interesting discussion as we talk to different people about their calling. And it has uh, with some a great, a great um, weight, a great heaviness. Um, it's on them as a great burden. I've, I've known many believers, their calling... Um, just consumed them to the point where they just lost sight of everything else. I'm, I won't delve into that. I don't. That's a little bit confusing. But the the calling or their reference to their calling seemed more like 
a heavy burden than it did a fire or a motivation or an engine that moved them forward. Um, and we see that word here. Um, we heard that word last night. It wasn't in the context of that horrible uh, explanation I just gave. But um, um, it is a thing. And Paul references it here. He reference, referen, references it in a couple of places, called to be an apostle. Then later on, he said, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, called to be a believer. That's a calling. You are called to be a believer. And then there's another one down in verse 7. And it says, and to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So we think, okay, well, you know, our we could break that down and divide it and discuss it and ask if those are three different callings and am I called to be a saint and not a believer? Is he called to be an apostle and not the other two? And the answer is no. Uh, your callings are God's invitation or the Holy Spirit's invitation to you to be a part of the thing that's going on. You're called. Um, that's my view anyway. I don't, I don't, um, I, I acknowledge that there's other specifics and that has to do, I think, with God's purpose in you and also kind of your personality and how God speaks to and through you. We see all of those things. But, but even among those three, and there's other callings too, called to be an evangelist, called to be a pastor, called to, be, um, called to move in the realm of giving, or, or called to be an intercessor or, or a prayer warrior, all of those kind of specifics, and there there are many many um, callings, and and there's there's varied as your personalities are varied, so that's kind of interesting. But I didn't even mention the most important identifier when it comes to the Apostle Paul, and that's in the very first three words: Paul, a servant. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, and above any calling above any mindset, above any posture that you have in your walk with God or in your walk to lead um, to represent Fivefold International or even greater the kingdom of God is that first identifier that, that, that Paul's identified with, the most important identifier, is that identification as a servant of Jesus Christ. So I, I thought when I, when I looked at that and when I was thinking about um, what to talk to you about, I thought about, well, what does it mean to be a servant? And so I thought, well, we, we've had a lot of examples in Hollywood and cinema and movies and depictions and in books and all of those things in history about what it means to be a servant. So I just thought of a few things. If I were a servant in a household, what would that mean? Well, first of all, it would mean that I was at the command of the master of the house that the master of the house had authority over me, authority in my decisions. And if I were placed in that house as a servant, I would, uh, if there's servants in a culture, I would be prepared by that culture that I would go in there and that I would not have any rights. If I was uneducated in that, if I was captured from a foreign country that didn't have servants and I was put in that house, I would imagine that the first couple weeks, the first few months, the first couple years, depending on how thick my head was and how stubborn I am, would be very difficult on me. Of yielding my will, yielding my, my ideas, yielding my 
um, decision-making to the master of that house. But that's exactly what it means. If I'm a servant of that house, I, it's not a democracy. I don't have a vote. If I'm a servant of that house, the best way for me to get into the swing of things there and to accomplish things, I mean, there's so many levels and so many ideas that you could picture. I could be a reluctant servant or if I'm, if I'm quick to learn, I could be an enthusiastic servant and I would press in to try and understand as quickly as possible what the purpose of the master of the house is and slip myself right in under that and find every way that I possibly could to please the master. If my heart was in it, my heart would have to be in it to do that. If my heart's not in it, then there begins a long and challenging process of hammering me and chipping away and I might spend some time in the hole and I might, you know, whatever. I might start out at, I would imagine that I would go into a household and that I wouldn't start out as the assistant to the master level, that I would start out at some other level. So after a season of time, depending on the master, I begin to recognize, I would begin that, that, so that first phase of servanthood is quite educational and, and everybody's got an eye on me and, and, and servants in the household with more responsibility would be tasked with keeping an eye on me and they would all be a part of training me and making me a part of that great household. So, so here I am a servant in that house. And as I, as I practiced that and as I was part of that process, depending on the master, I would begin to be recognized for my strengths and my weaknesses. Don't send Steve in to set the table. He, he's lousy at it. Or they would say, send Steve in again today to set the table. He's lousy at it. Send him in again today. He's lousy at it. Send him in again today. He's lousy at it. Okay, Steve, time out. You're not understanding you don't like it. We understand you don't like it. But you liking it is not part of the process. You liking it is not part of the program. You liking it, this is the master's house. What he likes is what matters. And so hopefully I would say, okay, well, the ideal thing would be, the less than ideal thing to me was the, okay, how do you want it? And every day I'm going to do it. There, there, there. But the ideal thing would be, for me to say, you know, I'm tired of being miserable. I'm tired of being resistant to, 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 to yield my will and, and not stop there, not just stop to yielding my will, but to embrace wholeheartedly. Well, if it's setting the table they want, then I'm going to set the table the best that I possibly can. And in, in the master's house, probably what would happen is, hey, Steve's setting the table uh, uh, well, good, now we can give him something else and see how good he can be at it. And after about three or four of those tests, hopefully it would dawn on me, it would enter into my psyche, into my thinking, that, oh, the, I see a pattern here. I see a pattern here, so now I don't have to be here. I get this job and this job. And as I become, as I become a yielded heart, cooperative, in love with the purpose of the master... I'm given greater responsibility, and along with that greater responsibility, more freedom. And, along, and, and at each level, I'm given honor 
that's commensurate with the responsibilities that I'm, that I'm given. And so it might spark in me um, early on that here's another aspect of it that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, this is good. I'm going to, I see there's a couple of people that are like right under the master and I'm going to, I'm just going to hustle and work to get up to that place. And if anybody gets in my way, I'm going to like whisper in the halls. It's like upstairs, downstairs, you know, I'm going to whisper in the halls and I'm going to get them sabotaged. And then people in the household begin to say, hey, you know, this dude, he's, he's a hustler and he's ambitious, but, but he's like not following the rules of social etiquette. He's not following the rules that are established in the house. And now I'm at odds with those who are in the house. And then that works to my detriment. So then I have to learn that lesson that not only do I have to, you know, the striving to reach the top and my own goals and ways to do it, um, get taking a shortcut or finding an underhanded way or a sneaky way to do it, are working to my detriment too. So now I got to learn this other lesson of not only do I have to work hard, not only do I have to become proficient, but I have to work and 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 work with the people who are working with me in this household to move up to move up that ladder because I because depending on my ambition, maybe I'm content to set the table. And that'll be recognized and I'm happy and, and you don't need to give me any more responsibility and the table needs to be set. And so those in the household say, uh, Steve likes to set the table. We've got the table covered. We don't have to worry about the table anymore. It's going to be set and it's going to be done well. And I'm happy and the master's happy and, the, and, the, and those who are in the household are happy and that's a great place to be. So there's all of this, this uh, process in the household as a servant, so as I'm as I'm showing myself faithful and showing myself um, um, whole in the sense of being joyful and being a participant in the household, I get to enjoy more freedom, and um, then I endure more scrutiny and I and I get more responsibility, and then after I've proven my character and my competency. Then I'm given more privilege and more responsibility, and maybe now I'm assistant to the assistant, like Dwight Schrute, assistant to the assistant of the regional manager, okay? We've got an example in Scripture. The example is Joseph. Joseph in his household starts out, and I, I, I think nothing but good about Joseph. I don't, I don't believe that Joseph, when he was telling his dreams, that he was rubbing his brother's nose in it. I think he was naive. He was a young, naive guy. Yeah, had a dream, you know. Stars were bound down to me, and the sheaves were bound down to me, and his brothers go, we know what that means, you little snot-nosed kid with your pretty coat. You think we're going to serve you. And he's going, what? I just told you my dream, you know. And I think he had an ear for God, and I think he had a heart for God. So he's sold into, sold into slavery by his brothers, but not killed, because God's hand is in this. He, he says that at the end of the story. God's hand was in this, because he wanted to position me, and he wanted to place me there. And we see Joseph's story unfold as he's beaten and thrown into the ditch and taken by slave traders and brought into Egypt, and Potiphar buys him and puts him in his household. Now we read the story, and we clickety-clack right along, but he was in that household for a while. 
I don't know how many years. I mean, I, I could have probably researched it, but that's, as in our conversation last night, Doc, that's not what I do. I more like to hear it and talk about it and think about it. So he was, we probably know how old he was when he was ruling, and we could subtract, and we could come up 1975 on a piece of pottery or something like that. I love, I love Doc, and I love people with brains, so that's really awesome. So how many years did it take for him to win Potiphar's favor in that household? It didn't happen the next day. So in that household, Joseph, what is he doing? He's doing what I described to you as a servant of the house. He's thrown into that ditch and, and taken by slave traders. I don't know where, I don't know where it dawned on him that now he's a slave. Now I'm a slave. And one thing about Joseph, he's very adaptable. And so he, he embraces it. How do I know he embraces it? Because Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He didn't do that because he was a slouch or a slough or, or prideful or, or had his own way or even that he had his own ideas. If Joseph had his own ideas, he must have kept them to himself because heads of household aren't really interested in the ideas of the slaves. I mean, there might, after you gain trust, after you gain a position of confidence from them, they'll hear your ideas. So this is that growth and this is that process with Joseph in that house. And so Joseph is going and now he's in charge of everything. But he's still walking with God. How do I know that? Because Mrs. Potiphar had his eye on Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, how about a, you know? And Joseph says, no. And he, he's under this pressure, but he's still serving in the household. And he doesn't go to Potiphar, and he doesn't rat out Potiphar's wife. Maybe he thinks, he won't listen to me, he won't believe me. Maybe he thinks, man, that would be dishonorable. I don't want to do that. I don't know what he's thinking, but I do know that he doesn't do it. And then Potiphar's wife does this thing to to, um, she's angry, she's jealous, she's mad, she's rejected, whatever baggage she has. And so now he's taken and he's falsely accused. And I can't imagine he didn't give his side of the story, but you're not going to listen to a slave. So then he's thrown into the prison. And so in his life of, of moving forward, I, I don't think that he's, I don't, there's many ways you can tell this story, and I'm telling it so I get to tell it the way I want. I don't think that he's got locked in this vision of the sheaves and of the planets and the sun, moon, and stars. I don't think he's walking through life with that locked in. I don't think he's got that locked in. I think what he's got locked in is the presence of God. I think what he's got locked in is God's, God's working in, in character, in depth, and in strength. And he's going, okay, well, now I'm in prison. What am I, I going to do? And he does what he does. He does what he does. And there's something inside of him that makes this flow out of him. So in character and in competency, he goes about in the prison being Joseph, and pretty soon, or not pretty soon, probably after quite a long time, now he's in charge of the prison. And he's in there, and I don't, I imagine that he, every, uh, that he gets up in the morning, and he's got keys on his belt, and he unlocks his cell, <laughs> lets himself out, closes the door, 
walks off and waters the prisoners and cleans up messes. And, you know, there's a, a jailer there, but he's just, the jailer is just sitting there reading a magazine. He's not doing anything. He's on, he's on his phone. And Joseph is like doing all the work. He's doing all the work. He's doing all, and he's, he's just doing it. It just flows out of him. And at night, he's all done. He's the last one done. He's cleaned up. He goes, he unlocks his cell. He puts his key on. He pulls the door shut. He goes, lays down, and goes to sleep. So he's in charge of the prison. And so this is what's flowing out of him. I don't, he's just an amazing character. And then these two come in, the, the baker and the butler, and they, they say the dream, and he interprets the dream. See, this is again why I think the presence of God is on him and in him, and that's what's moving him, because he, he, he tells, he, he interprets these dreams by the Spirit of God, what they're about. And so the, he says, well, thanks, that's awesome, and I don't know what the, I don't know which one, the, the baker is the one that had the birds plucking the bread, and so he's the one that's going to die. I don't know. I don't think he said thank you, but anyway, they were let out, and they went back to the palace. And he said, "Remember me, remember me," and they just forgot. And I don't think Joseph was in there wringing his hands. I think he was in there. Well, another day of work, and he went went about the work that he was called to do until that day. And all the time as we read it from this position, we see God's appointed time and appointed places and appointed journey that he's got Joseph on to position him, as the word says later on, to prepare a place for Israel, to prepare a place to put them and place them and position them for all of the other stuff that he's going to do to show himself mighty against Egypt and against the things that have opposed themselves against God. All of this over the course of all of those years. And Joseph was a cooperative part. Where in Joseph's life do you see a trip? Where in Joseph's life do you see a stumble? Where in Joseph's life do you... And it wasn't because he had in his mind, oh, I got to do this right, that right. It's because he had in his mind a relationship, a walk, a presence of God inside of him that, that had as its core that communication and that presence of God and that dealt with all the other stuff that went on around him in life. In each phase of the journey, Joseph's faith had to be in God. Not in his dream, not in his circumstances, not in his position or place at each place that he went. His faith had to be in God. Now, for us, at odds with the process toward our dreams, our expectations. You have dreams, you have expectations. In my 47 years, no, 52 years of being... I, I'm, like I said, I'm lousy at numbers. Let me think. 37, 37 years in full-time ministry. Churches, places, people, thousands of different circumstances, thousands of different situations of people I've come in contact with. That's my secondary lesson. But my primary lesson is all of the situations that have been in my life 
developing me and still developing me, still peeling off things, still Holy Spirit putting his finger on this and saying, you know, this is something, you know, turn your eyes from this, turn your eyes to me, walk in me, look at me. It's, it's, and, I, and if there's more levels ahead of the levels that he's brought me to and through, I'm looking forward to the next years of pressing me to see just him, to see only him, to, to have only him be pleased in what I do, because as that happens and as that unfolds in my life, I'm just more content, more at peace, more happy, more, um, more able to communicate the love of God, all as this is being developed. This process uh, is at odds uh, at odds with the process toward our dreams and our expectations are the elements that we have to address every day that involve the flesh, that in involve my flesh. Consider this scene from the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Open your Bibles there. Mark 10, 35. Sorry I don't have slides for you. I am so lousy at sermon preparation because I don't pastor full-time now. I work for my son-in-law, which is great. And he preaches regularly on Sundays, and I do other things uh, and preach occasionally. But I get asked to speak or I get asked to preach or, or whatever, and then I go, okay, Lord, what do you want me to talk about? It's a really, it's a luxurious life. It's really luxurious. I get to ponder and think and meditate. And so what happens in my process is I get something, and it just, it just cooks and cooks and cooks. And I think yesterday I finished this. So, so I was asked to give a title and provide slides and provide, and Doc is so much, because he, he's on the road all the time, and he's preparing all this, and he's got all these awesome things. All I've got is a title. That's all I came here with. And I, I honestly don't remember what it was, something serving into leadership. Okay. Sounded good. I didn't know if that's what this was going to be about, but it sounded really, it sounded really like a good title for a... For a conference. So. <laughs> so that's my apology for you having to look up these verses and not having them behind you. Mark 10, 35, and then a bunch of verses. Let's read. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Doesn't sound like a, a servant in the house, does it? And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? You know, watching The Chosen has transformed my life because it shows me a Jesus that is so patient and so kind. Most of the time, that series and that series, and Deb and I are like on season two and you're going amateur. And um, they ask him questions like this and he goes, just smiles at him. And, and I find Jesus smiling at me more often. Um, when I say dumb things, he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. That is so funny. That is so funny. When you get into the heavenly throne room where not even angels can stand up in God's presence, we'd like to sit on your right and left. Can you do that for us? It's just so awesome because I'm that dumb too. So... Then I jump down to verse 40, and he says, To sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, 
but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. So here I am as a young believer, saved when I was 16, full-time ministry at the age of 30. The topic of the call into ministry has always been an interesting one in my mind because you know, my primary call was to follow him and do what was in front of me to do, and that's, that's what I've done in my life. Um, um, so that's kind of been the definition that I've worked from. Started, I, I can't say started ignorant and got smarter because my progress is so slow and I didn't get smart fast. And what he's unfolded year after year has just been an inner work. And where um, Doc's message was macro from Genesis to Revelation and the, king, and the kingdom that's going to be established that is established and will be established, the reign and the rule. Awesome, awesome. This is micro. This is what's going on inside of you. This is a process that's inside of you that started in you and will continue in you till the day that you are changed, till the day that you're transformed, till the, till the resurrection, till that new place, new heaven and new earth and all of that, there's going to be a process that goes on. And I have high hopes and expectations connected to my God calling, and I'm anxious to move forward and achieve them. I'm talking about the process in my life. So I'm like trying, and I'm pushing, and I'm not, I'm not you're going to see in the context of this, I'm not dissing trying and pushing. You need to be ambitious. You need to be all those things. But at work, more importantly than that outward work of getting and doing and accomplishing and achieving is the inner work of, of yielding and, and, yielding and um, removing and making room for the Holy Spirit to shape and mold and heal and deliver and transform uh, layer by layer and piece by piece and element by element as you're changed from glory to glory. And that work, and, and to embrace that work inside of you. What's the problem? Well, I'll, I'll just talk about me. The problem, I'm dysfunctional. I'm immature. I'm insecure. I'm entitled. I'm wounded. I'm unskilled. Take your pick along the way, depending on your personality, depending on your upbringing, depending on your outlook. These are all things that need to be addressed by, and the, and the Holy Spirit's faithful to address them inside of you. <laughs> so accomplishing and achieving isn't the main goal because you can do an accomplishment and an achievement and you can build that tower of Babel and stand on it in your own strength <clears throat> and it, it, it feels hollow. And it's not rich, and it's not strong, and it's not eternal. So what's the solution to that? For me and you, if God puts me where I need to be with the people I need to be with to begin to work out my deficiencies, like that servant in the household. I'm given 
tasks, I'm given uh, situations, I'm given things. Uh, let, me, let me come outside of that a little bit. Pursuing credentialing with fivefold, good, I'm going to get my credential with fivefold, and then I'm going to kill it. It's just going to be awesome. It's going to open doors. Then I'm going to, it's going to blast it out. I'm going to do, finally do that. You're, you're Joseph with the big dream, but all you can do is focus on the big dream. And you don't know. See, this is what God does. He's so tricky. Sometimes that dream is the dream. Joseph got there and his brothers had to bow down to him. Bow down to him. It wasn't in the circumstance or situation that they would have imagined or he would have imagined. Sometimes it is that. But more often than that, I've found in my life that he gives me goals or ideas. I'll call them dreams for, for the sake of this analogy. He gives me a dream to, because, I, because my mind is so small. Um, your pastor has such big dreams. They're out there in every book on dreams that you read. Say, make that dream huge that you can't do so. Only God can do it. And it's out. I, I don't, that's not the mechanism of me. I need a dream that is, is just, just outside my reach. Just outside my reach. Right? So I have faith to reach for it but not the strength to accomplish it, so it moves me there. So in my life, I've accomplished a lot of dreams, and I get there, and God says, oh, shoo, good, this was a lot of work, Steve, I got you here. Now let's go to the next place. <laughs> so he'll give you a dream, and the dream is to get you from here to Peoria, when really his plan is Duluth. But if he said, go ye to Duluth, you go, oh, no, that's, or maybe we got to go south. Not this time of year, maybe. Yeah, so, but that's how it's, that's how it's functioned in my life, is that that dream is, is that, that place to get to, and because he takes each of us in the steps and in the processes that'll move us forward, but in that, in that process, he puts me with people. He puts me in situations. He puts me um, right where I need to be, not just to accomplish or achieve that thing, but to work on the things that are in me that are standing in the way. That is your biggest enemy. Well, if I can't do that, then I'm not going to do anything. Well, God will dwell with you there, and he'll dwell with you in the not doing anything until you get a clue and say, well, that's, that's not going to work. That still doesn't do... And any, any, any manner of different mindsets there are that are at work in you. What element, what situation, what position in your life, what deficiency or dysfunction or wrong thinking is at work in you that you're going, God, when are you going to take me to the next thing that I can do? And he says, honey, pal... When are you going to yield that thing to me so that you can be the person who not only can accomplish that thing, but can accomplish it in joy and peace and strength and walking in my spirit? So he's at work with you. Oh, man, I really was hammered this week. Oh, the devil really hammered me. You know, it might not be the devil. Maybe you don't love people enough. Maybe you're too judgmental. Maybe you're too critical. 
Maybe you're too sappy and too nice and not firm enough in things. It's just, it's just the broad range. And it's, it's nobody's business but you and God. But God's at work on that thing. He's at work. And a lot of times you want to do, well, God, you know, just, just accept that and come on, let's go on with it. And God says, I am more, this is, this is the awesome thing. Honey, buddy, that's what I call my grandson's buddy. Buddy, honey, my granddaughters, honey, buddy, I don't care about that like I care about this. Though you speak with the tongue of men and of angels, I care about you. You would get up there and you'd be standing on that pinnacle and you'd be trying to organize that and arrange that and manage that and you would be miserable because you didn't take care of this. Because you didn't take care of this. Pastor Eric gave a great illustration last night with, a, with training that I also was a part of. I was nodding my head. The leash training where you yank on the leash to, to get people, get dogs to do what you want them to do. Yank, 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 you know. <clears throat> and it wasn't, and that, that's how I raised my kids. Oh God, forgive me. I've, I've asked forgiveness of my kids. I didn't put leashes on them, but you know what I mean, right? And so, God, why didn't I? Why didn't I love them with a purpose? Why didn't I? And I know why, because of my training. I got training from my parents who were knuckleheads, and I was a knucklehead. And, um, um, but, but, but God so wants more than any of your achievements. He wants, he wants just to see you in his embrace. More than any of that. More important than any of that. There's this... There's this TV uh, series that Deb and I discovered, and we watched it together. It was two seasons, and if you haven't seen it, um, uh, warning, it's a lot of foul language. What can you watch hardly on TV anymore? The Chosen, uh, that doesn't have um, foul language in it. But anyway, it's, it's super parabolic. It's just a parable all the way through, and it's, it's called The Bear. And it's about this Italian, young Italian guy who takes over his brother's restaurant in Chicago. And it's, the, the restaurant is called The Beef. And it's first couple episodes, it was, I just thought, I, I don't know if I can watch this. It was so combative. And they were arguing and they were fighting. And there's this one character in there, Richie, was his cousin. Richie's the, the, um, the cousin of Carmen uh, Berzinski or Berezuki or what is their name? Bera something. Berezato. Berzato is their name, and he's the bear, and um, Richie is there, and Richie is, Richie's been working for, um, for Carmen's brother who killed himself and left the restaurant to him. I'm, I'm ruining the series for you, but I don't care. <laughs> don't watch it, okay? So um, um, he's, he, he's a leftover from his cousin who left, and he knows everything. And he's yelling and he's cussing everyone out and he loses his temper and he pulls a gun on the customers. And, and by about the second episode, I'm going, I hope they write him out of this series quick. He just makes me tense. 
just watching it, it just makes me anxious. I'm just full of anxiety. And he's the, the, the energy in this restaurant is just, uh, energy in a restaurant is horrible anyway, but this energy is just, it's like, what's the dude that yells at everybody but is turning nice? Gordon Ramsay, yeah, it's just way worse than that. And so, <clears throat> anyway, oh, way worse, way worse. And so this is going on, and then they have a fire, and then they find some money, and then they, they're going to reopen, and it's going to be great. And Carmen has this idea, because um, he doesn't want to just, Richie's his cousin, and they're Italian, so you don't fire your family. And so he sends his cousin over to this like five-star restaurant where he has friends, Carmen has friends, and says, take him for a week. And I don't know what conversation he had with him. You really don't know what conversation he had with him. So Richie goes over there. And Richie, they're developing this character. He's a lost, lost, lost soul. I mean, even, I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm just talking about he's lost. He doesn't know what he wants. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know what, and, and you just see it. He's asking himself, why am I even here? Do I belong anywhere? He is just lost, lost, lost. And Carmen sends him over there, and then he walks in, and he says, you know, where do you want me? And they said, in, in the other room, there's forks, and we want you to polish the spots off the forks. Are you kidding me? No. He says, I, I help run a restaurant, <laughs> which is crazy. And so he goes in there, and he spends the day polishing forks, all day, the whole shift. He stands there, and he polishes forks, and he's not doing a very good job. The guy comes in and he says, do those over, do those over, do those over. And he's mad, he's cussing at him, and he says, you want to stay here? Do them over. And he, he submits himself to that, but he doesn't like it. And he, so he says, what am I going to do tomorrow? He says, you're going to polish forks. He says, well, am I going to polish forks all week? He says, yeah, you're going to polish forks all week. That's what you're going to do while you're here. He's going to be there a week. He says, well, I can do way more than polished forks. Let me be a dishwasher. He says, oh, no, you can't be a dishwasher. We have the best dishwashers in the city. You wouldn't, you wouldn't stand up to their dishwashing. So he's there and he's polishing forks and he's doing the same lousy job that he was doing. And the guy comes in like the next day or two days later and he says, do those over. And he's just, he cusses and he swears and he says, do the forks. And the guy who's supervising him walks out and goes outside and, and Richie follows him out there and they get in an argument. And he says, look, this is the best restaurant in the city. We have 8,000 people on a waiting list. People, people save up their money. They save up their time. They spend time. This experience, we have the best of everything here, and you don't measure up. Get in there and polish forks. If you want to learn what it takes to be a part of this, you got to do that. And he goes in there, and he's polishing forks, and like on the fifth day or the sixth day, they said, okay, you can come out and do this. And his eyes light up and he goes out and he sees what's happening in the front of the restaurant and it dawns on him. He gets a revelation. He gets a revelation. If any of you have gotten a revelation, you know what I'm talking about. He gets a revelation. And the revelation is that to be a part of something like this, I've got to take the part and I've got to be the part and I've got to yield my heart and I've got to yield my will and I've got to yield my life to what's going on here because this is where I was put. And he changes. 
And so he steps in and he does some other things. And at the end of the week, they say, Richie, we're going we're gonna to be sad to see you go. Because he has changed. He's transformed. And he goes to the restaurant and then they do some other things. And they, on opening day, Richie shows up and he's got a suit on. He's not a dirty t-shirt. He's not ready to cuss and swear. He says, I know what to do. And he steps in. And I won't tell you this. This is the last episode of the second season. He steps in and everything goes wrong. And Carmen gets locked. I'll tell you. Carmen gets locked in the walk-in cooler and he can't get out. And Richie saves the day. Richie saves the day. Not with any cussing, not with any swearing, because he got a revelation. He bowed his knee to the purpose and the will of the master. And that master happened to be the function of a restaurant, which is what his heart was crying for. Where do I fit? What part do I have? What can I do? And really his cry is, how can I be whole? So here's what I'm saying. I don't know your situation. I don't know your dreams. I don't know your obstacles. But where you are, first, pay attention to the work of Christ in you more than you're paying attention to the work of Christ outside of you and around you. Pay attention to that. You know where that happens? It happens on your knees first thing in the morning. It happens, it happens on the way to work if you've got a long commute, thinking and praying, Lord, what are you working on me? Let him, I'm not talking about being a navel gazer where you're just staring at your own innermost being all the time and you become self-obsessed. I'm saying pay attention. What is God working on inside of you? That's way more important than what he's working on outside of you and from you. Pay attention first to the work of Christ in you, the pruning, the growing, the establishing before you pursue his work from you. In you before you pursue his work from you. Second, where has God placed you right now, right now, be a Joseph. Give 100%. Give 100%. And not because you've got a promise of some golden ticket or some grand position or to be seated on the right or the left hand of God, but because you love the master and you've received the, mass, the, the love of the master inside of you, to you. And so what you do, this is what I have, I give myself to it. 100%. Not asking why, not asking when's this going to change, but say, yes, Lord, I'll embrace this. Now, you might get promoted in that household, but there might be a time where God's Spirit says to you, okay, now it's time for you to launch to go here. But be led by him in that, not by your ambition. Have ambition, have dreams, have desires, and have drive. But submit it to the will and the love and the purpose of the Father in you. And where you are right now, give 100%. And finally, 
Be ready and courageous to step in when opportunity happens. You might be the person who gets good at setting the table. And the master says, gosh, you've been doing such a great job. I'd like to give you some more responsibility. And you go, oh, I don't know if I can handle it. Or I don't know if I can do it. Say yes to opportunity when it comes. You'll opportunity yourself right into more responsibility. Doesn't that sound fun? <laughs> doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound fun. I was being facetious. But with that response, God, do a good job, faithful servant. Take the talents I've given you, invest them, and there'll be a return and I'll give you a reward. And what's his reward? And in one of the Gospels it says the reward is, I'll give you more to do. <laughs> but when we serve the Father without worrying about the workload, and I'm, this isn't... A, a, message about the workload but when we serve the father just because we love the father and we feel the father's love on us then we move into a new place of greater responsibility without fear or without pressure or without anxiety of proving ourselves to someone other than not even the father because he not even the father because he just plain loves you and then you move in the purposes of God so finally, be ready and courageous and step into opportunity when it happens with character, with humility, and with love. Find your center in him and then walk that out. Why don't you stand up? I'll pray for you. I didn't prepare how I was going to end, so I thought Doc's way was good, so that's what I'll do. Heavenly Father, right now I thank you what a journey we're on. And, and you're so good, you give us the beginning and you tell us what the end's going to be. And so all that is in the middle can be walked through in peace. The politics and the finagling of our day, we don't need to submit ourselves to its fears or to the hatred or to the anxiety, but we cast all our cares on you because you care for us. Father, I speak just a touch right now to every heart in this place, a touch of your peace that passes understanding, a touch of your confidence that is in us as we serve you. Work it out in us. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. We hope you enjoyed this message from the church conference hosted by Fivefold International. To learn more, you can visit the website at fivefoldinternational.org. Make sure to check out the entire series of teachings from the church conference on the Destiny Church 217 podcast.